the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. As we do every Monday in our second hour, we check in with Brandon J. Weikert, author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. He is also the publisher of the Weikert Report, theweikertreport.com, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. And it's all free to you. Brandon, happy Monday. I hope you're doing well. I am doing well. Thank you for having me on, as always. How are you? Oh, we're doing great out here. Fall is in Arizona, although things look to be pretty nice in Florida, too, these days. Yeah, that's pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was, up at, I was up at 5 in the morning, and it actually got to below 80, so I was happy. <laughs> I was happy. <laughs> we'll have to, we Arizonans will have to move to Florida for the warmth. <laughs> Brandon, China, much in the news, not as much as it should be, but much. And I was hoping to unwind some of it with you, and your most recent column in the Asia Times gets to a lot of this. But let me head, start with something that I just needs breaking down from my simple mind from yeah. from your com, com, complex one. Um, the The headline was um, that China is testing a nuclear missile, a hypersonic, a nuclear capable hypersonic missile. Yeah. Jen Psaki, White House spokes uh, presidential spokesperson, said today that the United States welcomes stiff competition. Really? Is this the first time in history we welcomed an enemy or an opponent testing a weapon? Well, I mean, you could argue throughout the Cold War the Democrats loved giving the Soviet Union all the advantages they could give it. Um, But that's, of course, an opinion. Um, Certainly, I've never heard... Uh, it, it's almost. It, it, yeah, I remind. It was reminded of Obama's JV team comments oh, yes. about ISIS. Yeah. When I heard that today, now I heard it after the fact. I was driving back from my office mm-hmm. and I was listening, and I just I was in shock. I mean, this that that didn't get more news coverage and consternation. The Republicans, for some reason, I saw Kaylee McEnany on Fox outnumbered today. She was fixated on Jen Psaki possibly breaking the Hatch Act because she, Saki said something on the podium that made it sound like she was... Oh, uh, who cares about any of that, right? I mean, yeah, this is exactly. such... The Hatch I'm Act, like, my gosh. Like, no, Has anyone I'm ever like, gotten in trouble goodness, with the Hatch Act? My God. We have the, the official spokeswoman for the president is encouraging China to build a weapon system yeah, yeah. and to test that weapon system, a hypersonic glide vehicle... That against which we have no known viable defense. I want to make your audience very. Cl- I want to be very clear for your audience. This is not a nuclear missile. This is not just another run-of-the-mill weapon. This is quite literally a game-changing weapon, and we do not have a working prototype. The DARPA has been trying to build a physical hypersonic kill vehicle for the last 15 years. They have not been successful. It is only two countries that have been successful in deploying any kind of weapon like this. The Russians with an underwater hypersonic vehicle, and now China with what, with what I believe to be the most sophisticated hypersonic vehicle in the world. 
Now, the Chinese are running around saying, oh, no, 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 this wasn't a hypersonic vehicle we tested. It was an unmanned spacecraft. Well, yes, as if you read my book, Winning Space, and I know you have, but your audience, if, if they haven't yet, you will see I give a full argument for how space is a dual-use technology. Yep. What can be used in peacetime for exploration and science can be used easily in wartime with the flip of a switch for a weapon of war. Our na nation's defensive systems do not have the ability to either effectively track in real time or to defend against these weapons systems. And China now has proven that they can test this system. Furthermore, the Financial Times, which broke the story over the weekend, uh, the, the sources from the U.S. intelligence community that went on the record with them said, quote, we are stunned by this development because they don't understand how China got there. Well, I know because I and my colleagues at the Asia Times have been writing about how China has the most sophisticated hypersonic testing facility in the world in Beijing, and they've been quite open about it. And everybody in Washington and in the United States has kind of said, yeah, but the Chinese, they're, they're copying us. No, they're not. China has copied us, and now they're at the point where they're starting to out-innovate us. And this is a problem, and this is at the moment when we have a president and a, an elite in this country who are completely unmatched to the challenge at hand, which is what you and I spoke about last week, but it still stands true today. There's a lot here. Do me this favor for the audience, if you don't mind, Brandon. Yeah. I, I, can, I know what hyper means. I know what sonic means. I know what glide ah. means, and I know what missile means. But tell, tell the audience what a hypersonic glide missile is and why it's different okay. from other things. Well, so basically, as the name suggests, hypersonic, it flies, it's super fast, okay? Faster than the speed of sound. It is super fast. Um, and because it's so fast and the way that it maneuvers in the atmosphere and in space, um, it's very difficult for our missile defense radars to track. So the conventional nuclear missile, a conventional uh, intercontinental missile, uh, they travel usually on an east-to-west or west-to-east axis. So our, our radars are physically built, majority of them facing east-to-west. Okay. So we can track, because that's usually where the Soviet and then Russian missiles would come in from if they're attacking the U.S. Okay. However, the hypersonic vehicle travels super fast, it can deliver a payload from China to the heartland of the United States in, in about the same amount of time it takes you to get a pizza delivery from Domino's. And they can launch it in any direction. So it can go, and this is what China did, they tested it on a polar orbit, meaning it went from south around to the north. And our active radar sensing equipment, we do not have it geared toward monitoring that approach, oh, which wow. means not only can they overcome with speed uh, and get within our homeland before our defenses are activated and attack us, but they can do it on a vector that our sensors do not normally track. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we're finding out about this three months after the test occurred should be very telling to everybody. Our intelligence community has been chasing Russian ghosts at Mar-a-Lago for the last five years. And they completely missed this development. It's an incredible thing. I, You know, it would have been perhaps clever for someone to ask, but there would be a bigger point to it. Someone to ask, because the government was, the U.S. government evidently was caught by surprise on this. 
whether uh, Li Zuocheng gave Mark, uh, Mark Admiral, uh, General Milley a heads up, but uh, evidently <laughs> it only not. flows in the other direction. I yes, of course. Like everything from us to China, trade has always flowed in one direction, environmental damage, uh, et cetera. It's always, it's always coming, you know, going from us to China. Uh, and and now it's uh, you know it, it's now evolving unfortunately into the military realm. You know, for many years I and people like the eminent David Goldman, uh, who's my editor at the Asia Times, he's a, a man I look up to in many ways. Uh, you know, we've been beating the drum in, in D.C. and elsewhere that you know you cannot look at China as just imitators. These, this is a 5,000-year-old country. They have a majority of the time, they have been a great power. It is only for the last couple hundred years that China had some problems where they were being bested by the West. But now the pendulum is shifting back to China. And whatever's going on with China's economy right now, to say that they're not innovative, to say that they're not a real near-peer competitor with the United States is just the height of ignorance, and it's going to get us all killed. Because at this point, China's laughing at us as we're trying to build these alliances with Australia. All of that's great. Unfortunately, though, the technological realm, which has always been the realm that America's dominated, it's now being dominated or at least competed in with China, and China has our number. Yeah. It, 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 you, have, you have an important column, and I'm going to dig into it with you in just a few moments at the Asia sure. Times that, that does go into this. But before I get there... You mentioned a phrase that, uh, uh, in your first answer to me, you mentioned a phrase that you hear zero. You hear a lot about. I hear zero about anymore, and that's missile defense and vulnerabilities. Uh-huh. What, right. ha- what happened to that notion? I mean, that's just well, off, so to speak, yeah. the radar. Well, and I mean, there's well, let me do this. Let me do this. Let me yeah, let me yeah. hit the break, and then come back to you for that on the other side, and then yeah. we'll dig into your column. Is that cool with you? That's cool with me. I'm Seth and He's Brandon J. Weicker. Happy to take your calls on this. If you're calling on something else, we'll get to you in a little bit. No problem, or feel free to call back. But 602-508-0960. And if you want to get any of Brandon's works or writings, you can get it all at theweikertreport.com. W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. The Weikert Report. I'm Seth. He's Brandon, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. He is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, publisher of the Weikert Report. Brandon, right before the break, I was saying missile defense, a phrase you were about to get into this a little bit. Missile yeah. defense is a phrase I haven't heard much lately. When people don't hear much, they usually think things are taken care of. When you poll Americans about whether yeah. we have a missile defense system, the majorities or at least the uh, advanced pluralities say yes. Boy, what a surprise they'd be in for, huh? Oh, we are about 30 years behind on missile defense. Remember, this was something that goes back to the Nike missile project in the 1958. Mm. Um, we, uh, Jimmy Carter initially started cutting it uh, to do his anti-satellite uh, weapons, ASAT weapons treaty with the Soviets, which, of course, the Soviets never respected. Uh, and then Reagan became a big proponent of doing missile defense, space-based missile defense. This was famously or infamously, depending on who you ask, uh, labeled Star Wars, Strategic Defense Initiative. And then because Reagan said it, you know, he was Trump before Trump. 
because he said it, the Hollywood man was bad. And so Washington moved against him. Uh, the program continued in sort of a bureaucratic malaise after both he and then George H.W. Bush were out of office. Um, and now we are 30 years at least behind where we should be uh, with space-based missile defense. It is my contention that, yes, had we taken seriously uh, Reagan's proposal, we probably would have a viable defensive system to help at least uh, deter China, Russia, and others from deploying these hypersonic vehicles and similar weapons. Um, the creation of Space Force, I can tell you, when I was involved at the very beginning, I was agitating quite heavily uh, for Space Force to officially accept as part of its doctrine, which of course it didn't, uh, the creation of a space-based missile defense system. Back in 2017, I was saying this. But of course, uh, the bureaucracy will not do that. So, and this was actually our late friend, uh, Angelo Cotavia. Yeah. Uh, this was one of the reasons why he was so kind to advise me on the writing of my book and then gave me a wonderful blurb because he was honed in on my research on how Space Force was basically dragging its feet on embracing the concept of space-based missile defense because it was too politically controversial. Well, here we are in the year 2021 after China potentially, I think, uh, loosed a bioweapon on us in the form of COVID-19 last year. Now here we are being told by our intelligence chiefs that they are stunned that China has successfully tested uh, what is believed to be a hypersonic vehicle, uh, which we have no defenses against. And we are nowhere near being able to build out our own hypersonic kill vehicles. So this is a big problem, and we don't seem to have a path forward. As you said at the, the last segment, Jen Psaki is out there encouraging, oh, yeah, we welcome the competition. We should not be welcoming <laughs> the competition at all. <laughs> we know? should not be welcoming the competition because we have no defense or <laughs> offense no, against yeah. it. So, you know, and the Biden administration is completely blinkered. Yeah. They, they, are, they have absolutely no idea what to do, uh, which is why I think Psaki's comments, uh, she made those comments, because better to appear haughty and arrogant, I guess, rather than completely inept right. and bewildered. Right, you know? right, But right. the Chinese see through it. The Chinese are no longer cowed by us. And this is another thing. Deterrence only works on an opponent right. who can be deterred right. or who thinks that they might be deterred. Right. This opponent in China is building out such a coterie of, of technology, an arsenal with an economy that's so expansive that they don't feel they can be deterred by us anymore. They don't care. We're just like uh, old news to them. And that's not good. That's right. And uh, give 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 the old man his credit here, right, Reagan, for understanding this notion behind what you're saying. Right. If, if my memory is right, this notion of mutually assured destruction he thought was That's in right. itself a comprehensive evil because why should people right. have to rely on that? Better yet, right. give us the prophylactic. And he talked about instead of mad, having mass, M-A-S, mutual assured survival. Yeah. Wherein we would have the ability to tell at that time the Soviets that, hey, your nukes mean nothing to us because we now have a weapon, the space-based defense, that can knock those nukes out of the sky. So don't even bother. And so what China's doing, interestingly, is a version, a more offensive version of what Reagan did to the Soviets. They're saying, hey, we've now tested and we're building out uh, this hypersonic kill vehicle against which you have no conceivable defense. And your, your own hypersonic program is well behind ours. 
So guess what, America? You better start doing what oh, you Oh, this is such a good analogy and such a scary thought, Brandon. Um, right. You write it up this way. You think about that. I mean, there's a lot of elements into how, so- how Reagan defeated the Soviets, but clearly one of them was showing his resolve. Clearly one of them was showing his willingness to spend them out- outspend them militarily. Clearly one of it had to do with out, out technology, uh, you know, you- the, use- the better use of technology. In your column, this is frightening. Do you want a robust 5G Internet architecture? Go to Shenzhen. Interested in quantum Internet? Forget Silicon Valley. Go to Shanghai. Uh, You think the DARPA is leading the world in exotic weapons technology? Well, you'll have to turn to Beijing rather than Washington. Um, Beijing has cracked the code to American greatness, you put it. Yes. They figured out that that to throw as much money at a technology as possible – and just see what happens. Maybe it doesn't go anywhere, but maybe for every five failures, there's one success. And with that one success, you spin off from there and create three other new things, some of them civilian, some of them weapons. Yep. And you spin, you keep creating this ecosystem of the new industrial revolution in China. And first of all, you force investors and uh, scientists to go over to China rather than America in the peacetime and then in the wartime. Suddenly, your military has all of the technological edge, and you have all of the strategy and doctrine on how to employ that weaponry against the Americans who are befuddled and blinkered and still a generation behind you. Remember, and this is what David Goldman always says, in the late 70s, early 80s, when the United States had the computer chip, when we created the semiconductors that were used for surgical missile strikes, when we started relying on satellites, we had the cruise missile with its inertial, uh, its INS system. All of that came from the computer chip, the innovations in the 70s that we made in the computer chip technology. We leapfrogged the Soviets, and the reason the Soviets wigged out when Reagan took office was not just because they thought he was a mad bomber, but because they knew the Americans had truly leapfrogged them in critical military technology. And I'm worried that right now China has done something similar in a handful of high-end technologies that have real-world military implications against which, again, sadly, we do not have the defense because we are still a generation now behind China. And Biden certainly isn't a Reagan. He's not up to this kind of challenge. Or a JFK. He's not a JFK either. You, you said something. I'll pick up on it when we come back on the other side of the break. I also have a couple interesting listener emails for you. I'll run by you as well, Brandon. But the idea that China has done to us what we did to the Soviet Union or is doing to us what we did to the Soviet Union has so many implications. It's such a good framework. Yeah. I'll just say this before the end of the break. You can agree, countermand, or explain further when we come back. But you know, one of the other, I said there were many elements to the to the cracking of the Soviet Union. One of the others was people stopping in the Soviet Union believing in their system. You know, as more and more information came to them, you know, many of the Soviets woke up to the great lie. Well, it's not a lie here, but what do you say about what China's doing to us as we did militarily in foreign policy to the Soviet Union and technologically at the same time so many Americans have stopped believing in America? We'll pick up on all that when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. Brandon, 
Uh, I didn't know if you had a comment on what I said, but it seems mm-hmm. like there's a growing toxic confluence of problems emanating in the U.S.-China relationship. They are, as you put it, doing to us what we did to the Soviet Union. And I added another element to it, not just the technology, not just the spending, not just the military. But, you know, there is um, – there's, there's another element too. A lot of the Soviet uh, – Russian, Russian people stopped believing in the system as more and yeah. more technology came and as they could experience more and more of the world through visitors and, and, uh, and media. We have that problem here too. That's now also yeah. new here. Larger and larger proportions of this population not believing in our right. system. Right. Anyway. And, and, and Seth, it's, you know, when you look at the kind of – we call it the woke ideology yeah. – and I, and I think that that's a shame that we call it that, because let's call it what it is. It's Marxism. That's what I did in a speech this weekend. I said, it, I said, get rid of that phrase. It's Marxism. Right. Good. We're on it's, the same page. It's, 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 it's Marxism, pure and pure Marxism. And it's, uh, it's, it is, if, if, if it were purposeful to make our country weak from within, the Chinese couldn't have come up with a better ally than the left in this country, because for... 50 years, 60 years, you could even argue going back a century, um, the left has been thoroughly gutting our country of its values, of its its system of governance, where the Constitution is a living entity now that can mean whatever we want it to mean, uh, completely eviscerating the, you know, sexual differences between men and women, uh, you know, rewriting everything. Eliminating parts of the Bill of Rights and giving to China and giving to China veto and censorship power. American companies giving to China veto and censorship power. Hollywood is basically bought and paid for these days by by China. And so that that is a, a soft form of warfare, ideological warfare, that uh, the left has imposed upon us or waged upon the country, and it serves China's interest, doesn't it? Because it makes us soft. It makes us uncertain. It makes us have this very defeatist idea uh, that we're the bad guys. We really are the imperialists, and we really are the SOBs. We don't deserve what we have. And so China, of course, plays the victim card, and they're the underdog, et cetera. And so, so, you know... It plays well into this narrative that, that China's the ascendant power. Um, the notion that China with Evergrande and with what's going on in their economy, that, oh, well, this means they're going to collapse. Maybe, but it's far more likely that what's going on is, as David Goldman has been at the head of the curve on this one, uh, that China's likely going through a massive social reengineering along the lines of what it did when they reopened the country to the West in the 1970s when Nixon met with Mao. There was a massive reengineering. Initially, yes, it was very bad for the Chinese people, but ultimately, within a few decades, China was uh, you know, a major economy in the world trading system uh, on their way to becoming the number two world economy right behind the U.S., and if trends persist, they will likely displace the United States as the largest economy in the next six years. And so, and that's even accounting for what's going on with the changes in China's economy. So we have to be very careful that we don't become sort of deterministic in saying that, well, what happened to the Soviet Union was one day it just imploded and something similar will happen to China because, well, they're an authoritarian state and, uh, you know, authoritarianism ultimately leads to destruction. 
Well, maybe, but it takes a lot longer. It took 75, 80 years for the Soviet Union to collapse. And if it wasn't for the Second World War, it's likely that Nazism would have lasted a heck of a lot longer in Germany than it did uh, because ultimately we went to war with them. But had we not gone to war with them, you know, Hitler might have been able to rebuild the, 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 the German Empire in his image. Uh, authoritarianism is the normal tradition of human society. Uh, so this idea that, that democracy always wins out, well, it does when you have the right leadership and you have a people that is confident and convinced that the future belongs to them. We don't have that right now. China does, and it's very scary. It's it's uh, you said it, Brandon. That's that that, that that's beautifully stated, and it's beautifully stated in uh, the miserable conclusions that it draws. But we I have mean, to Seth, face let these. Just quickly, let me just quickly yeah, add this. Sure. I have a colleague that I've known in China who's pretty liberal. But when I was communicating with him over the last couple of weeks over Messenger, I made the quip that, well, it looks like you guys might be falling before us. And his response was, that's not the safe bet. If it were me, I would be considering you, your country having to be the one to collapse. And that is the dominant narrative over there, not just among the, the Communist Party-like rulers, but even among people who are friendlier to the West. They're looking at us for the last 15 years, since 2003, going, what the heck are the Americans doing? This is a country in decline, not a country on the rise. Yeah, I don't think Li Zicheng thinks that uh, we're going to defeat right. China. But, Brandon, let me uh, let me take the quick break here. We yeah. have a few calls for you, a few listener emails for you. We'll do that when we come back. Our guest, Brandon J. Weikert, author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Leaders in Washington better read it fast. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. We could use uh, the president of those years again. What was that, like 1985, 83, somewhere in there? Welcome back. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. Brandon, let me do this. I have two emails for you and a ton of calls, so I'm going to wrap two yeah. emails into one and have okay. you uh, go at it. Lucky writes, what about this theory? China uses this missile or a similar one to knock out our satellites and wham, China has won the bottom line. We're disconnected, in the dark, chaos. Next email and take it however you want. Does Brandon think we are close to being deterred by China rather than the other way around? Oh, well, yeah, let me start out with the first, with the second uh, uh, question. Yes, uh, China is in our OODA loop. Uh, and uh, I think that they have, like I said in my my article, that they figured out the, the, the crack the code for being great in the highly technological era that used to only be America had that code. Yeah. Uh, but now China has it. And in terms of the attack on the satellites, sure, they could use a hypersonic kill vehicle on satellites, but China's been building out uh, a laser system in, uh, in, in their country that has the capability to temporarily dazzle or blind uh, those satellites. And the reason they might want to do something like that as opposed to a direct kill uh, vehicle is because it doesn't create the kind of space debris that could be a hazard to Chinese systems in orbit. And remember that movie Gravity with Sandra Bullock in 2013? Uh, what happens in that movie is that the Russians test a, an anti-satellite weapon, and it creates this giant ricochet effect that basically knocks out all of the satellites and space stations in orbit, and Sandra Bullock is an astronaut who has to basically figure out how to survive that kind of shooting gallery and make it back to Earth. So that's called the Kessler Syndrome. 
And so China has been really investing heavily for the last six, seven years in these lasers that can track uh, American satellites passing by and then blind them. That way the satellites are rendered inoperable and they have a free hand to do whatever they want in, say, the South China Sea or against Taiwan or with the Russians near Japan. Uh, and that's, that's something that I think that they're really looking at doing. They certainly could, though, with even current technologies before the hypersonic vehicle, they could easily have taken out our, um, our, um, our, our satellites with conventional anti-satellite technology. But the laser system is one that, for satellite attacks, I'm much more worried about because it's harder to trace. And it takes us longer to figure out what happened. And in the meantime, we're deaf, dumb, and blind. There's not a lot of coverage over an area in, in the Pacific. And that gives China a lot of chances to run roughshod over, like, Taiwan or the South China Sea. Beautifully stated, as usual. Mike and Maricopa, you are on with Brandon Weikert. Yes, that's Brandon. I'll be real quick. I know we're limited. Uh, out here at the city of Maricopa, just north of there, we had a type of a radar. It's not like a phase array radar as to where it's like an eight-story building, but it was laid out flat on the ground like fences. And because many, many 50, 60 years ago, we knew that the Soviet Union would launch right. missiles across the northern polar cap. And uh, this this radar system had been shut down by the Obama right. administration. Any comment? Yeah. Um, basically, going back to the end of the Cold War, the Clinton administration and then uh, really the Bush administration, George W., started to reinvigorate a little bit uh, after 9-11. But really, you're right. Going back to even the Clinton administration, we were dismantling our, our defensive capabilities because, remember, history had ended. That's what we were told. And, of course, what happened was there was a strategic holiday in which the United States kind of checked out of world affairs, and then 9-11 happened, and we had to come back in. But basically, ever since the 90s, at least on stuff like uh, the, the radar systems and things related to nuclear warfare and great state competition, we've lagged behind because even 9-11, we were focused more on terrorism and these rogue states like Iran or North Korea or previously Iraq. We weren't focused on big countries like Russia or China, near-peer competitors. And so we never fully reconstituted the capabilities that we had built to fight the Soviet Union in the Cold War and to protect against them. We dismantled them. We never rebuilt those, for those forces. And today, we now are even with, left with even less. And it's doubtful, given the constraints, the budget constraints, that exist today with America's economy, it's doubtful we're going to be able to reconstitute these systems in a very significant way. And, all, by the way, there's a lot of people in the Pentagon who don't want to rebuild those systems because it would take money away from their pet project. Uh, but we need systems like that. And, unfortunately, yes, the Obama administration, the Clinton administration before them, yes, have spent the last 30, 35 years dismantling all those wonderful systems from the Soviet, from the Cold War that would have been very useful today in tracking and countering Chinese threats to the homeland. Thank you. We are our own worst enemy. If we can do it quickly, Rob, I think we can get Brandon in with you. Go ahead, Rob. Oh, good. Hi, both guys. Uh, love the show so far. Thank you. Uh, Brandon, I was always concerned that uh, China is much smarter than the old Soviet Union. And yeah. in, uh, in, along several lines, their long view and so forth. But I'm also concerned that there have been so many stories out there that China's been buying up uh, millions of acres of U.S. land, primarily farming, and also 
buying off uh, a lot of these meatpacking plants in the U.S. Um, uh-huh. Are you able to validate that, or, or uh, yeah. can you expand on that a little bit and and maybe Thanks, Rob. Yeah. see Thank- how? Yeah. Okay. Thank you, sir. Yeah. So basically, China is going after the basic building blocks of life. Uh, you see this; they're going after metals, rare earth minerals. They're going after defense technologies. They're going after energy. They're going after water. They're going after agriculture and food, partly because that's an economic incentive. They want to make money. But more importantly, they recognize it as a strategic threat. They can gain dominance from those industries in peacetime and then put a stranglehold on them in wartime. Remember, uh, they are threatening to close down the Panama Canal because the Chinese firm manages the day-to-day operations of the Panama Canal. Now, imagine what they're thinking about doing when they buy... Smithfield, which is a bacon, you know, meat cracking company, and they're moving operations from Virginia to the meat cracking operations over to China, and then we have to import that meat from our own former company. So the, you know, the Chinese are thinking about war through other means. This is all about capturing the high ground of uh, agriculture or water or minerals or energy and using their strategic dominance in, the, in those industries to basically deter or stunt the Americans from ever taking some kind of military action against China. And it's and you're right, they're buying up more and more, and it's a very, very sticky wicket that we find ourselves in. And I don't know if this current administration has the ability to get us out. And it's not good enough, is it, Brandon, for leaders to just say, well, you know, our task is to uh, outmaneuver them with soft power and technologically. And it's not sufficient because they're outmaneuvering us on it. Right, and that was the point of my article right. is that, you know, as we're playing footsies with the Australians and the, the Indians and everything, China's building real assets that they can use to beat us and to scare the world and to, and to show the world that they are the future, not us. And, and that is the thing. That, that is the thing that will give them power. Brandon J. Weikert, bless you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. The degree to which uh, we will uh, vouchsafe ourselves from this threat is the degree to which more elected leaders listen to you. May your voice grow stronger, and we'll look forward to catching up next week. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Thank you for your patience, Steve in Litchfield Park. Welcome. Hi, Seth. Uh, Steve, first-time caller. Hey, I'm sorry. My first, I really enjoyed your previous guest. I, oh, yeah, I he's something else. He's something else. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, But I did have a disagreement sure. with you about uh, listen, listening to your position about whether they get the vaccine. Uh, I don't think I can trust my physician anymore. Uh, he told my wife that he can't do anything other than any kind of alternative medicine if I get COVID because he would lose his license. Don't you find that to be interesting? I've just lost all trust, trust in the whole medical well, I think a couple things. I think there's been a lot of pressure, certainly, I think, more on pharmacies than physicians. But I do know that particularly if the physician is employed by a larger organization, there has been a lot of pressure on them. I, um, I would be interested to know if you have options to find other physicians. 
Well, I do, and uh, frontline doctors and, and people like that are, are certainly, you know, avenues I would explore. Um, I, I just, I just well, keep yeah. Back so, so if I need to clarify it this way, let me do this. Let me try it this way and see if this satisfies uh, the concern or not. But uh, feel free to say whatever you want after I say this. Uh, my point is, trust your doctor if you like, and trust your doctor. Um, trust your doctor if what he says sounds reasonable. And if it doesn't, it's not odd to get a second opinion. But you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know who else to trust when it comes to medicine other than a, a doctor. Well, I, I just when, don't. When the doctor, when the doctor says that he's being pressured to go against treating me in the correct way and doing the treatment that is being prescribed by the. The oh, it, it, it's needs. awful. It's awful. It needs to change. We can work on that. But can you find another doctor? I know well, there are doctors sure. that and, and, do prescribe the kind of things that you are looking for. I do know that. And they are in the valley. Well, can you can you imagine what they would have told the uh, the people 20 years, 30 years ago that had HIV? Right. Wait, right. you can't do anything right. until we get a vaccine. Right, right, right. Absolutely, absolutely would not have worked. Absolutely would not have been tolerated. Absolutely, you would have the CDC's doors broken down. Absolutely right, Steve. Absolutely right. You're you're totally right about that. But you know, when I when I say you know, it's between you and your doctor. It's between you and the doctor that you you know trust with your health. If he is immediately telling you something which makes you say, I can't trust him or I can't, I can't work with him because he's got constraints, you've got to find another, right? Because I, I, I just literally am not smart enough to read these research papers and understand it all. I've tried. I have tried. I have tried. I can read numbers. I can read graphs. I can read data. I can read history. I can understand political science. I am not an MD. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.